Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Atsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 25 of ADHD for Smartass Women. This week's topic is all about ADHD and addiction, and I want to start out by saying that I don't struggle with addiction, although I have to say that I did quite a bit of research recently for a family member, and you know me well enough by now to know that I don't like to talk about things that I don't have immediate experience with personally. But again, this is one of those subjects that I kept seeing come up in our Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women, so I knew that it was definitely worthy of an episode. And so what I'm going to try to do today here is share why it is that those of us with ADHD have anywhere from a five to 10 times higher likelihood of substance abuse and addiction. And yes, you heard that correct. Depending on the study, anywhere from five to 10 times higher. We talked a bit about this in our podcast on ADHD and weight. We talked about eating disorders. We talked about, you know, addictive behaviors around food. Um, and so you know that this is all about brain chemistry. And it's also something um, called reward deficiency syndrome. This term was coined in 1995, another syndrome, by the way, right? We love those. This term was coined in 1995 by Dr. Kenneth Blum. And you do know I'm kidding, right? RDS, or reward deficiency syndrome, it's common with those of us with ADHD, and it has to do with a malfunction in the brain reward cascades. Specifically, what's happening is we just don't make enough dopamine, and that affects our reward pathways. That means we may feel less motivation to work towards a reward, but even worse than that, once we work toward it and we achieve a goal, we get to the reward and we feel less satisfaction from this reward than someone who doesn't have RDS. This is exactly why we also never feel like we've accomplished enough. RDS can lead to addiction. Because we're driven to keep seeking the reward that we expected, we just keep going back over and over again. So that first glass of wine was supposed to make us feel relaxed and peaceful, but it doesn't quite cut it. So then we go to the second, and when that doesn't do it, maybe the third will, and so on and so on. When you have ADHD, you often, you don't get the same satisfaction that others get from many things, from accomplishments, from reaching goals, from work, from food, from shopping, from a drink. I always talk about post-final depression. When I was in college, I would work so hard, you know, to get through finals week. I would, 
you know, be studying for hours. I would make sure that I was constantly on task. And I just had this sense that when it was all done, I was going to be so happy. I was going to be so excited. And that kind of kept me motivated and kept me going. But once finals were over, I would literally be like, uh, is that all there is? Okay, on to the next thing. And so what ended up happening is I never learned how to celebrate my accomplishments. Like nothing ever seemed like a big deal. Part of the reason we do this is that we value receiving the reward, exactly what I just said, right? More than anticipating the reward, which is the reverse of what non-ADHD individuals experience. We're also driven, like in my example, I didn't get the satisfaction I expected from the reward, so I would just go on to the next challenge, hoping that that reward, I would be more satisfied by that reward. It would feel bigger. And so again, you end up never really learning how to celebrate your successes. We're also driven to seek substances or behaviors to get the dopamine that's missing in the reward pathway. It's biology, right? So the same dopamine circuitry that leads to ADHD also leads to addiction. I think that, I also think that whatever drives our amazing ideation, our imagination, our creativity, our curiosity is probably also part of that same dopamine circuitry. This is also why we see this overlap between creativity, talent, depression, addiction, and ADHD. They all kind of hang together. And there's this myth that you can't have talent and creativity without depression and addiction. And it's not true. Edward Hallowell had this great podcast on addiction and ADHD, and this is what he said. You don't have to be an alcoholic to be a great writer. You can give up writing and be an even better writer. Look at John Cheever. Look at William Faulkner. You know, we have to stop perpetuating this myth because we're actually getting better and more precise in our interventions so we can preserve this brilliance and talent and lose the madness at the same time. So what else can I tell you? Well. Just like we eat for stimulation or to feel better, we also use substances for stimulation or to feel better. I found this study by Timothy Wylands out of Harvard Medical School, and what they discovered in the study is that only 30% of young adults use substances to actually get high. 70% of them are doing it to improve their mood, to help with sleep, or for other reasons. They're self-medicating, and it's really common for people with undiagnosed ADHD or for people who've been diagnosed but have not gotten treatment to self-medicate. With ADHD, a lot of people use substances as well to calm their brains down so they can be productive. When you're drinking or smoking, for many people with active brains, that actually stops that incessant mind chatter that we have. It calms the boredom because it stops from you from caring that you're bored. 80% of those of us who struggle with addiction also started using between the ages of 13 to 23. So we're again, we're talking about young people who are doing this. This is when they start. They're trying to self-medicate. They're not being diagnosed for ADHD. And if they are diagnosed, they're not getting treatment. And this to me is scary because it's always about environment, right? So if you put yourself in a position where this is what all your friends are doing, and they also likely have undiagnosed ADHD or untreated ADHD, of course, you're prone to risky behavior. So to me, this is the gateway, not the ADHD medication. This also leads us to another myth, and this is a huge one. And that myth is that 
giving stimulant medication to someone with substance use disorders or a predisposition to addictions, for example, someone with ADHD, that that somehow is going to cause more addiction or start them down that wrong path. And if you ask the general public, that is exactly what they think. And sadly, this is because the media does such a terrible job of researching and telling the truth. Taking stimulant medication actually reduces your risk of developing an addiction by half. There are numerous studies that have shown an inverse relationship between drug therapy for ADHD and drug abuse. Again, Dr. Wylands, who I just mentioned, he analyzed data from six studies and found that people with ADHD who receive appropriate treatment in childhood, almost always with stimulant medication, were 50% less likely than their untreated peers to abuse drugs or alcohol in adolescence or young adulthood. Okay, so here's some good news. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, if you have not started abusing a substance by the age of 21, you're unlikely to start later. And this is whether you have ADHD or not. An individual who hasn't started abusing a substance by age 21, they are unlikely to start later. And this seems to be true, again, with people with ADHD, as well as those who don't have it. Another bit of good news. Exercise helps for everything, but it especially helps here. We are moving and challenging ourselves physically, and it makes sense. You're less likely to medicate because by exercising, you're increasing dopamine in your brain, and it's all about the dopamine, right? You are keeping your brain stimulated, which is really important. Our brains need to be stimulated. We cannot be bored. Boredom puts us at risk. What else can I say? Medication can never be the whole treatment for ADHD, and sadly, it almost always is. I can count on one hand when someone has told me that their doctor sat them down and really helped them put a plan together that involved education, a focus on strengths, exercise, nutrition, and sleep. I know that with my doctor, I know that with my son's doctor and most of the members in our Facebook group, it was something like this. You have ADHD. Here's a prescription. Good luck. One other thing, this dysfunction in the reward pathway, it predisposes those of us with ADHD towards addictive behaviors, but it is in no way a certainty. Many of us do not struggle with addiction. Okay, so that's all about why. Why addiction is so prevalent among those of us with ADHD. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to break with what I've been talking about here, and I'm a little reticent to share this with you. But it was really eye-opening for me when I was doing my research for that family member. And so I think it will make a difference for someone out there who's struggling. And so I feel like I need to talk about it. In the research that I did for that family member that was struggling with addiction, I talked to recovery centers. I talked to hospitals about medical detox programs. I talked to sober living environments. And I was constantly told that there was this need to clean out alcohol bottles, prescription pill bottles, you know, that you need to go into the person who's struggling with addiction. You need to go in their into their house and you need to clean everything out. And in my case, we were talking about an adult here. This made absolutely no sense to me. If this family member was not interested, there is absolutely nothing that we could do. And I didn't want to put that family member in a position where there was a need to lie. 
Again, you know, when I think about ADHD and I think about addiction, I constantly think and think about positive emotion and that need to always be addressing everything that that person wants to change with positive emotion rather than negative emotion. There's no way that I was going to show up on their doorstep and do unannounced searches. I was also really shocked at how expensive these programs were. I mean, some of them ran as much as $40,000, and this was for a few months. You know, it was kind of a month of that inpatient treatment, and then maybe a month, maybe, yeah, it was probably just one more month of outpatient treatment. And then maybe there was something else that, you know, went along with it, but $40,000 just seemed like a lot of money. So... I did more research because something just didn't seem right to me. And I found this book called The Sober Truth. It was by Harvard professor Lance Dodes, and I believe his son, Zachary Dodes. He's been treating people with addiction for 30 years, this Dr. Dodes. He's also written a bunch of books on addiction. And so this was the book that I found. It's called The Sober Truth. Debunking the Bad Science Behind 12-Step Programs in the Rehab Industry. And he taught me this, that most treatment centers are based in faith healing. So AA's 12-Step Program, which is the program that we always hear about and that we think or we believe and we're told is the panacea for all addiction, right? There's all different kinds of 12-Step Programs all over the country. Anyway, AA's 12-step program came from a fundamentalist religious organization that was founded in the early 1900s. And the cure rate for AA is actually somewhere around 5 to 10%. And the belief is that it's probably even less than that because you can imagine how unlikely participants will be to um, participate in these studies as far as, you know, how successful, you know, the program was if they weren't successful in the program themselves. Now, the good things that I do want to say about AA is that, number one, it is inexpensive. Number two, there is a lot of structure around it. And number three, probably the most important thing about AA is there is a lot of community within AA. And I mean, I absolutely believe that for every recovery program, community is probably the heart of it, right? But I've also been doing a lot of research on trauma and addiction. And I have a friend, Perry Hallman Jansen, who's a psychotherapist, and she's been specializing in this area of addiction and trauma for 30 plus years. And this is what she has been telling me. You can have trauma and not have addiction. So just because you've gone through trauma does not mean you're going to move on to addiction. But you can never have addiction without trauma. And so I thought about ADHD, right? So you did poorly in school. Your parents and teachers and everyone is constantly telling you everything you've done wrong. You know, you're lazy, you're unmotivated. You don't even know that you have strengths, let alone what those strengths might be. And ADHD, when not managed well, we know that it can lead to unexplained underachievement, a poor self-concept. And I believe that that alone can be the trauma. What is traumatic for me may not be traumatic for you. And what may be traumatic for you may not be traumatic for, you know, that next person. And so I think about ADHD, you know, you're smart. So you think your underachievement is a moral failing. It's a character flaw. And I just really believe that you need to address the underlying trauma because the addiction is just a symptom. And it's not just me talking. I'm, this is what a lot of specialists in trauma will say, including Perry Hallman Jansen. So this idea that 
You're shaming someone by constantly asking, are you going to meetings? Are you going to meetings? Are you going to meetings? Are you drinking? Are you drinking? Are you drinking? That would never work for me. I know it wouldn't. And I can totally see how those of us with ADHD brains who, number one, do not like to be told what to do, would probably not be successful with this either. To me, the real question that we should be asking is not, are you going to meetings and are you drinking? It should be, why are you drinking? The addiction is just a symptom of why you are drinking. So again, I started to do a lot more research and I discovered this concept of spontaneous remission. And let me back up for just one second to explain something that I didn't know before I started to do the research. So the Standard Addiction Treatment Program works off of a chronic progressive disease model. So the idea is if you don't treat the addiction, it is going to continuously get worse and you can't cure addiction except through a treatment program or a 12-step program. And after doing my research, I don't think that's true at all. So the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism did a huge study, and this is what they discovered. Three quarters of people with addictions fully recover, most of them without any treatment at all. 50% of that, you know, three quarters of people with addictions, they never even stop drinking. They reduce their consumption to an acceptable level. And this is called spontaneous remission. Now, I don't want you to think that it's not that they don't have to do a hell of a lot of hard work to get there, because they do. And it often takes a very long time. But they are just as successful, if not more so. This is, you know, when, when we're talking about doing a lot of hard work, this is where you're working with therapists and programs that are focusing on why you're drinking. And what I know without a doubt is that for those of us with ADHD, again, we have to be in positive emotion to be motivated to continue. Negative emotion just won't do it. We also have to be part of the process, the decisions, part of the recovery of like what we're going to do. We are not going to do what other people tell us to do if we don't think it's going to work or we don't understand why. We have to be part of the equation. We also need someone who understands how ADHD and addiction are intertwined. We need education. When we understand, when we believe, we are much more apt to move forward and do what needs to be done and maintain our motivation. So I, um, you know, was a little reticent about sharing this book, The Sober Truth. And I had read the book again for this family member. And I, I just could really relate to a lot of what Dr. Dodes was saying. <laughs> In true ADHD fashion, I was, I was looking at the book. I had already finished it. And I looked up on the far right-hand corner and I saw a testimonial <laughs> that I had not noticed before. And that testimonial said, provocative, illuminating, persuasive, and lucid, Edward Hallowell, MD, author of Answers to Distraction. And I just had to laugh because I didn't read the book because he had referred it. I read the book and then I realized that, oh, Edward Hallowell, who's basically the godfather of ADHD, um, using more of a strength-based model. 
And so I just found it so interesting that he also got a lot of value out of this book. And so that's why I decided that I wanted to mention it here. I also want to tell you that when I was doing a lot of the research on the programs, you know, that are offered, I found a recommendation from Edward Hallowell. And because of this recommendation, I looked into the Center for Motivation and Change. And what Edward Hallowell said about this was that they are the leading treatment center for addiction and that they recognize the overlap with ADHD. So it seems to me that if you're looking for a program and you have ADHD, this is a great place to start. And I'm going to post all these links in our show notes. The approaches that the Center for Motivation and Change uses just sound so perfect, you know, for that person with ADHD. A, they're motivational. B, they are client-directed, meaning the client designs a program for him or herself that he or she believes will work. C, they include cognitive behavioral therapy. I am always about action. And I feel, I absolutely believe the quickest way to get out of anxiety and depression, you know, situational anxiety and depression is through action. Again, our feelings, and I'm quoting Perry Hallman Jansen here again, our feelings are not good or bad. They are just information. They are signals to us that something is not right in our life. And they're signals to us to figure out what that is. We need change. We need action. Okay, what else um, on the Center for Motivation and Change? They're non-shaming, and they promote positive self-esteem, hope, and empowerment. It's not a disease-based program, meaning that, you know, so you have the sense that it's never going to go away, which I think is not only demoralizing, but it's also not supported by the evidence. This program, this... um, Center for Motivation and Change program. It's also not based on a 12-step philosophy. I personally, and I would think many of us with ADHD who don't like to be told what to do, would struggle with imperatives to surrender and concede that, you know, you're powerless or to accept that you have this disease for life or you need to call upon a higher power. I mean, that's just, I would really struggle with that. And I bet you a lot of people with ADHD would as well. I, I, you know, I have less of an issue with the higher power, but I definitely have issues with this having to admit that I'm powerless or that I have a disease for life. I just, or that I have to surrender. I just, that's just not how my brain works. Again, I believe that when we are feeling positive emotion, That is how we best maintain our motivation and we change. So I'm going to give you all of these links in the show notes. That's what I have for you for this week. I also do want to really highly recommend the Beyond Addiction podcast with Dr. Josh King, especially the interview with Edward Hallowell, and I will post that in the show notes. As always, you are listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you've been listening to me for a while, you have no idea how much I would appreciate a review. It is not hard to do. Please, you don't have to write anything at all. If you're on the iTunes podcast platform, all you need to do is scroll down to the bottom and click on the stars. That is literally all you have to do. And it would make me so happy. If you'd like to know more about me, our patent pending cartography system that teaches you how to figure out what of the many interests you have or which of the many interests that you have is the one that you should pursue. Or if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview 
or a topic idea for this podcast, go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and click on podcast in the navigation bar. You're going to see a microphone to your right where you can leave me an audio message. You can also reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.